At some point or another, we'll all have deep loss in our lives. Grief is a powerful thing, and today we'll explore the stages of grief and how to cope with the loss of a loved one. This is the podcast series from Deaconess the Women's Hospital, a place for all your life. I'm Deborah Howell, and our guest today is Dr. Libby Brown, a clinical psychologist at Deaconess the Women's Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Brown. So nice to have you with us today. It's nice to be with you. Thank you. Well, I think we should jump right in, and I guess the start for me would be if you could tell us what the stages of grief are and explain each of them. Okay. They've been around for quite a while. It seems like now people are telling me what they think the stages are and are going (laughs) through with uh, their own processes. But for any of the people that aren't as comfortable kind of reeling them off, I'll give them in the order that they originally were presented. But people go through these stages in different ways in a variety of length of time in stages and sometimes not in the same order. But originally they were presented by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and several authors since her, but they were denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And they all come after you hear that you've lost someone, but actually it it sometimes can be that you also lost something, and that might mean you didn't get the job that you wanted. But for today, I think we're talking people, but there's that time period where you just can't you can't believe what is what you've just heard. You just can't. It's like your body, some people's body almost goes into like shock. It's like, what? This isn't real. This, you can't be telling me this. There's a lot of denial that this has actually occurred. And it's almost the protection almost of how much this shock has hit you. Anger is very common because it certainly triggers a fight or flight reaction when we're threatened with horrible news, threatened by a horrible event, sympathetic nervous system kicks in and people go into fight or flight. So you'll see some people, they try to leave a room, they try to get away, and some people go with a lot of anger toward there's got to be a reason, there's got to be a person, there's anger directed outward, and that sometimes is hard to receive if you're the person that it's directed toward, but it's just uh, temporary. And I'm just kind of almost talking in the very moment you hear the news, but these things can last. They're stages, they're not events. Bargaining is almost trying to do anything you can to believe this isn't true, uh, trying to figure out a way to how can I make this less difficult or what can I do for you? I'd do anything if it were me and not. You have a lot of that. It isn't as well known as one of the stages. And then depression and acceptance. Depression, of course, you know, why wouldn't people go into a sense of hopelessness that they can change the event, hopelessness that their life has just changed, and and a helplessness that this happened and they couldn't do anything about it. And then hopefully we all move at some point to being able to accept. And that doesn't mean that any of those other feelings aren't still there. You're just trying to get on with, okay, this is real. This did happen. And and you're just filled with loss and just trying to deal with that. And then eventually a newer group of people have come up with a sixth stage and, and it's kind of gaining momentum with people in the public. And it's kind of at the point where you hear that someone found a purpose or found a meaning again. And they, from the death and all of those stages, they get to the point of, okay, because of this happened, I'm going to do this. And you see that when people do walks in memory of or where someone goes and changes state legislature, you know, because of an event. I mean, there are all kinds of... From small to large, we find meaning. 
uh, from the loss of this person. So that's kind of a quick summary, a thumbnail sketch of all that. Sure. And it's lovely that they've added that six one. I really, that makes a difference. And now in your experience with patients, what's typically the longest stage of grief? That's about as varied as the people I see. I don't really know that I could put a timeline on that. There's so many, so many personalities. Every death is just unique to that individual. And therefore, I always say no rules apply. I mean, you mm -hmm. just, how you feel and what you go through and what order is is kind of individual, and it relates sometimes to some people have had a lot of losses in their life, and they feel like they know kind of what to expect that doesn't make this loss easier, but they have a, at least a point of reference that they do remember at some point in their life. They did get kind of, you don't get over it, but you get through it, and I think that's where some people are with a loss. Some people, it may be the first major loss they've ever had. And it's just, it's a little more raw. They don't have the point of reference that they're ever going to not feel what they're feeling right then. And so you, I just feel like the people that are around someone who's had a loss, you just have to honor that they are going to go through it in their way. There's no template. There are no right or wrongs. And uh, hopefully the people that love them will accept the various stages and not try to push them through it because they're uncomfortable, because they love you so much, they want you to get through this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really hard sometimes on the people around the one with the major loss because they just really don't know what to do. So what are some of the ways you recommend to cope with grief, both for the person who experienced the loss and then those around them? Again, I think it has to be coping skills. You have to know the person and you go with someone's strength and try to try to work with who you know they are when they're at such a point, you know their strength, you can kind of remind them that they will get through this because of their particular area of strength. I think that when it's fresh, it's like if we're talking about when it fresh happens, it's very important that you, that those of us around that person not dismiss their feelings. And I think we don't mean to dismiss them, but when they say things like, you're going to be okay, you know, in the long run, we say things that we sometimes don't realize they're going to be heard as we're dismissing their feelings. So I, I ask people to be very careful, be very thoughtful about what you say to the person that's just experienced such a loss. Any attempt to explain why that loss occurred, because we think we're going to make them feel better if there was a, a reason or how it happened or why it happened. I think the best thing is just becoming a very good listener and then really for yourself, if you're the individual, you reach out to people when you can and when you need to. But the caregivers and the people that love them, be patient and just be a really good listener and to give them space. Sometimes we rush in too much and we're trying to help them too much and they can't breathe. You know, it's like I just need a little time just to be by myself and just sob or shut the door and turn off the lights. But we sometimes think, well, they need us to come in and they need us to surround them and help them. It, it, it's so unique. But I think the, the core to all of that is not to forget that they're grieving for quite a while. Everybody rallies around at the beginning and everyone is talking and everyone is helping and then they go on to their own lives. And you're left with this really surreal experience that you're standing in the world that has just dropped out from under you and everyone else has gone back to what their normal is. And uh, it's really hard to remember when you see someone two months, six months, one year later, that they may still be dealing with tremendous issues just because they don't talk about it. 
And I, I like to be very respectful of the length of time that someone is grieving. You can't rush grief. And I think sometimes we do try to rush grief. We think, oh, if we just get them active, get them busy, get them out doing something, get them back to work, oh, they'll be fine. But, you know, not rushing in, giving time, knowing that what we think will help sometimes doesn't. I think that's kind of, it doesn't sound like anything specific, but everybody has an opinion. Some people want to get rid of anything, mementos, let's just move on, let's clear this out, it'll make you sad. And then somebody else will say, well, let's just leave this, you know, you need the comfort. What's the timeline that you began to clean your space? And that has to be incredibly unique, but everybody has an opinion on that. I'm kind of going through in my mind different people. It depends on what the loss is, too. I mean, if it's a young person or an old person, I I want to make sure I throw in here that if someone has had a miscarriage or a baby in utero, people really don't seem to have many skills for that. And someone who's had a miscarriage after a while feels like everybody thought that wasn't a a big deal because it, it was a miscarriage, and it is a huge deal. And I think in today's society, we're acknowledging that. And it's really coming from generations before that knows what it feels like. They had a miscarriage and no one ever talked about it. And no one ever acknowledged that they had that loss. And so I do think today we're doing a little better job of realizing the amazing loss and the effect it has not only on the mother, but on the father as well, because no one knows what to say. And, you know, even for people who go through fertility, I can speak personally for this. You know, I went through fertility three times and was unsuccessful. That's a that's a loss. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that kind of folds back in. I mean, because people don't know what you're going through. And they will, if they do know, they don't know what else really to say. And um, when you have to, a loss of any kind, especially what you're talking about and uh, little ones, you're losing a, a dream. You're losing a little person, you're losing a dream, you're losing a vision, you're losing the identity of who you thought you would be, that there's a whole lot more there, lots of layers that we often don't stop and look at. So I've often wondered about something, should I feel guilty if I can't cry right away when I experience a loss? No, I mean, that's part of the individual. I mean, going numb is a protection that some people have and some people keep for a while. Sometimes you just can't. It doesn't, even if you try, if you tell yourself, well, I'll feel better if I cry, you still can't cry. Again, it's just kind of your reaction to the situation. But when people are in shock, when people are just trying to get through the day, it's kind of like some part of you says, okay, well, I'm just going to help you get up and get going. And you can't if you're crying. And it's like the body and the mind are taking over, not your cognitive willpower. And and it isn't that people don't care. It's just that they just can't. And how can talking to someone help with grief? I think that is, I think people end up, they talk to family members, they listen to family members, but there's always a connection to that you have to meet that other person's needs. If I'm talking and and you get upset or you start telling me your story or you give me your opinion, suddenly it shifted from me telling you I'm just, I'm crumbling inside to you saying, well, that's okay, everyone feels that way. Or I remember when I had a miscarriage. I mean, suddenly you have that. You have parents who want to take care of you that also are grieving that they might have had a grandchild and they're trying to take care of you and their own loss. You got a lot of connections. And so when someone 
someone is uh, recommended to maybe come to a, a therapist or a counselor, it's just your space. You get to say anything, you get to feel anything, and you don't have to worry how the other person on the receiving end is going to feel or be affected by it. It's just you. And I feel like that is sometimes the advantage of at some point in time, and I'm not always saying it's right away, but anyone who suffered a loss realizes that it suddenly becomes them taking care of other people because the other people are so upset that they're upset. And it flips instead of receiving, they sometimes are giving. A very good point to remember when speaking to someone who's just experienced a loss. I have a quote from Helen Keller that I love a lot, and I was hoping to get your reaction of it. What we once enjoyed and deeply loved, we can never lose, for all that we love deeply becomes part of us. I think that's, of course, I think that's brilliant. What an amazing lady she was on so many levels. And I think that people take different versions of that very quote, and I hear it in people in their own healing processes. And and it's things that I would say similar is that this is always you. This loss is always you. Nobody takes that away. And the heart is amazing. It finds all kinds of ways to love. There's not a comparison. There's not an absence. But it's like whoever you lost just came inside. They were there for life. Is there anything else you'd like to add to our conversation today? Other than it was amazingly easy to have, which I appreciate. I think the only thing I might add is that for people again, to feel that their grief is their own and to go through it in their own way and to realize that's within the norm. I think sometimes people begin to judge their own grieving process and feel like something's wrong with them. Why is it all these many months later? Why do I still feel bad? Everyone said I'd feel better after a year and a year's come and and I feel worse because I thought I was supposed to be better by a year. There's a lot of self-talk about the right way to do it, the length of time. And I guess what I would want to leave people is that this is a very process of going through something and not to try to play by anyone's rules. Just do whatever you need to uniquely and reach out to good listeners that when you feel like you need it. And I guess that's really all you can hope for. Yeah, and hope for that sixth step that we talked about earlier to kick in at Absolutely. some point. Absolutely. And it does. I guess I'm fortunate, I feel like, to have watched people that that get to that point, and it will find its way. It's in the everyday little things as well as something big, but uh, a life with meaning is a reason to keep stepping forward, and sometimes a grief process needs to hold us in time until we're healed. That's beautifully said. We thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for being with us today and giving us your insight into the grieving process. It was really inspiring. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed visiting with you today. Me too. And that wraps up this episode of the podcast series from Deaconess the Women's Hospital, a place for all your life. For more information, visit deaconess.com slash CHA or call 812-842-4328. And for more health tips and updates, follow us on your social channels. I'm Deborah Howell. Thank you so much for listening and have yourself a great day.